Volume three, chapter eight of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume three, chapter eight. It was no more possible to do anything unusual in Whitford without arresting attention and being subjected to animadversion than it was possible for atmospheric conditions to change without affecting the barometer. Who could tell how it got abroad in the town that young Mrs. Errington was in the habit of following her husband about, of watching him, spying on his actions, and examining his private correspondence? Mr. Obadiah Gibbs, who could have told more than any one on the latter head, was not given to talking. Yet the fact oozed out. It assumed, of course, a great variety of forms and colors, according to the more or less distorting mediums through which it passed. The fact, as uttered by Miss Chubb, for example, was a very different-looking fact from that which was narrated with bated breath and nods and winks by Mrs. Smith, the surgeon's wife, and her version, again, varied considerably from those of Mr. Gladwish, the Methodist shoemaker, Mr. Barker, the Church of England chemist, and the bosom friends of the servants at Ivy Lodge. Still, under one shape and another, Mrs. Algernon Errington's jealousy of her husband, and her consequent behaviour, were within the cognizance of Whitford, and were discussed in all circles there. The predominant feeling ran strongly against Castalia. There were persons, indeed, who, exercising an exemplary impartiality, on which they much prided themselves, refused to take sides in the matter, but considered it most probable that both parties were to blame. Mrs. Smith was among these. She had, she declared, that rare gift in woman, a judicial mind, although her conception of the judicial functions appeared to be limited to putting on the black cap and passing sentence. But in the main, public sympathy was with Algernon. He had offended many old acquaintances by his aristocratic marriage, but at least he was now making the only amends in his power by being extremely unhappy in it. A great many wiseacres, male and female, were now able to shake their heads and say that they had known all along how it would turn out. This came of flying too high, for if Mrs. Errington Sr. was an Ancrum by birth, her husband had been only a country surgeon, not even an M.D., although she called him doctor and this justifying of their predictions was in a vague way imputed to algernon as a merit or at least it softened disapproval then too in justice to whitfordians it must be said that all their knowledge of castalia showed them an insolent supercilious uninteresting woman who made no secret of her contempt for them and their town and who although but a poor postmaster's wife when you came to look at it as mrs smith the judicial truly observed gave herself more airs than a duchess what good or capacities for good there might be in her was hidden from whitford whilst her unpleasant qualities were abundantly manifested to all beholders poor castalia in her quite unaffected nonchalance and disregard of all those people was totally ignorant how much resentment and dislike she was creating and in what a hostile atmosphere she was living her husband's popularity dimmed by his alliance with her began to revive when it was perceived that she persecuted and harassed him and as was shrewdly suspected involved him in money difficulties by her extravagance some of the men thought it served him right why did he marry such a woman but the ladies as a rule were on algernon's side there were exceptions of course miss macdougall stood up for her friend as she said albeit with some admixture of mrs smith's judicial tendency to blame everybody all round and a personal disposition towards spitefulness minnie bodkin said very little when the subject was mentioned in her presence but when an opinion was forced from her she did not deliver it entirely in favour of algernon she was sorry for his wife, she said, and nine-tenths of her hearers would retort with raised hands and eyes that they, for their part, were sorry for the young man, and that they could not understand what dear Minnie found to pity in Mrs. Algernon Errington. "'A woman who spies on her husband, my dear, who condescends to open his letters. How a woman can so degrade herself is a mystery to me. 
and they say she actually follows him about the street at night skulks after him oh it is almost too bad to repeat i don't know that all that is true but if it be so it seems to me that there is a great cause for pity minnie would reply and the answer was set down to poor dear miss bodkin's eccentricity there had been for some time back a talk of carelessness and mismanagement at the whitford post-office then roger heath made no secret of his loss and was not soft-hearted or mild in his manner of speaking of it he complained aloud and spared nobody and there were plenty of voices ready to carry his denunciations through all classes of whitford society it was very strange such a thing as the loss of a money-letter had been almost unknown during the reign of the late postmaster and now there was not one case but two three a dozen the number increased as it passed from mouth to mouth at a wonderful rate there must be great negligence to say the least of it somewhere in the whitford post-office if the present postmaster was too much above his business to look after it properly it was a pity his high friends didn't remove him to some situation better suited to such a fine gentleman to be sure he was worried out of his wits by that woman it really was true that she haunted the office at all hours she had been seen slipping out of the private door in the entry she was even said to have a pass-key which enabled her to go in and out at her will was it not rumoured on very good authority that she had actually gone to the office alone in the dead of night what could she want to be always prowling about there for it was all very well to say that she went to spy on her husband but if things went wrong in the office in consequence of her spyings it became a public evil anyway it was most extraordinary and unheard-of behaviour and somebody ought to take the matter up this latter somewhat vague suggestion was a favourite climax to gossip on the subject of the algernon erringtons with respect to their private affairs things did not mend tradesmen dunned and grumbled and could not get their money and some declined to execute further orders from ivy lodge until their accounts were settled among the angriest had been mr vervel the principal draper of the town whom castalia had honoured with a good deal of her custom but one day not long after algernon's conversation with his clerk mentioned in the last chapter he was met in the high street by mr revel who bowed very deferentially and stopped hesitatingly could i say a word to you sir said mr revel certainly replied algernon they were close to the post-office and he took the draper into his private room and bade him be seated i suppose mr revel said algernon with a shrug and a smile that you've come about your bill mrs errington mentioned to me a short time ago that you had been rather importunate upon my word mr revel i think you need not have been in such a deuce of a hurry i know mrs errington does not understand making bargains and i suppose you don't neglect to arrange your prices so as not to lose by giving her a little credit eh this was said lightly but either the words or the tone made mr revel colour and look a little confused he was seated and algernon was standing near him with his back to the fire expressing a sense of his own superiority to the draper in every turn of his well-built figure and every line of his half-smiling half-bored countenance why you see mr errington we are not in the habit of giving long credit unless to a few old established customers who deal largely with us it would not suit our style of doing business and it was reported that you were not settled permanently here and 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 one or two unpleasant things had been said but i hope you will not continue to feel so greatly offended with us for sending in the account it was merely in the regular way of our transactions i assure you oh i am not offended at all mr revel and i hope by the end of this month to clear off all scores between us entirely mrs errington has not furnished me with any details but-revel looked up quickly clear off all scores between us sir he said i presume you will have no objection to that mr revel oh of course sir you will have your joke i am glad you are not offended you see ladies don't always understand these matters mrs errington was a little severe on us when she paid the account yesterday at least so my cashier said my wife paid your account yesterday cried algernon with a blank look 
yes sir in full we should have been quite satisfied if settlement had been made up to the end of last quarter but it was paid in full oh i thought you had been made aware of it mrs errington said my people understood her to say that it was by your wish as you were so greatly annoyed at the bill being sent in so often oh oh yes quite right mr Ravel. he spoke slowly as if he were thinking of something other than the words he uttered Ravel looked at him curiously algernon suddenly caught the man's eye and broke into a little careless laugh the fact is he said with a frank toss of his head that i did not know mrs errington had paid you i suppose she had received some remittances or but in short checking himself and laughing once more i dare say you won't trouble yourself as to where the money comes from so long as it comes to you mr Ravel laughed back again but rather in a forced manner not at all sir not at all he said bowing and smiling and seeing algernon look significantly at his watch he bowed and smiled himself out of the office then mr Ravel went away to report to his wife the details of his interview with the postmaster and before noon the next day it was reported throughout whitford that mrs algernon errington had the command of mysterious stores of money whereof her husband knew nothing and that nevertheless she ran him into debt right and left and refused to pay a farthing until she was absolutely forced to do so this report was not calculated to make those tradesmen who had not been paid more patient and forbearing if mrs algernon errington could find money for one she could for another they argued and a shower of bills descended on ivy lodge within the next week or two algernon said they came like a swarm of locusts and threatened to devour all before them he acknowledged to himself that the payment of Ravel's bill had been a fatal precedent and perhaps he thought there was no need for getting rid of the notes after all however the thing is done and can't be undone the necessity for another appeal to lord seely grew more and more imminent castalia had displayed an unexpected obstinacy about the matter she had held to her refusal to ask for more money from her uncle but algernon had not yet urged her very strongly to do so the moment had now come he thought when an appeal absolutely must be made and he doubted not his own power to cause castalia to make it her manner to be sure had been very singular of late alternately sullen and excited passing from cold silence to passionate tenderness without any intermediate phases he had surprised her occasionally crying convulsively and at other times on coming home he had found her sitting absolutely unoccupied with a blank fixed face the few persons who saw castalia frequently observed the change in her and commented on it miss chubb once dropped a word to algernon indicating a vague suspicion that his wife's intellect was disordered he did not choose to appear to perceive the drift of her words but the hint dwelt in his mind you must write to lord seely this evening cassie he said one day on returning home to dinner he had found his wife at her desk and on seeing him she huddled away a confused heap of papers into a drawer and hastily shut it must i she answered gloomily well i don't wish to use an offensive phrase you will write to oblige me it has been put off long enough why should i oblige you said castalia looking up at him with sunken eyes she looked so ill and haggard as to arrest algernon's attention not too lavishly bestowed on her in general cassie said he i am afraid you are not well the tears came into her eyes she turned her head away do you really care whether i am ill or well she asked do i really care what a question of course i care are you suffering no not now i believe i should not feel any suffering if only you loved me ancram castalia how can you be so absurd he rose from his seat beside her and walked impatiently up and down the room nothing irritated him so much as to be called on for sentiment or tenderness there she exclaimed with a little despondent gesture of the head you were speaking and looking kindly and i have driven you away i wish i was dead algernon stopped in his walk and cast a singular look at his wife then after a moment he said in his usual light manner 
my dear cassie you're low and nervous it really is not good for you to mope by yourself as you do come rouse yourself to write this letter to my lord then after dinner you can have the fly to drive to my mother's she complains that she sees you very seldom will you come too ancram i-well yes if it is possible i will come too i think said castalia putting her hands on his shoulders and gazing wistfully into his face that if you and i could go away to some quiet strange place far away from all these odious people across the seas somewhere i think we might be happy even now upon my honour there's nothing i should like so much as to get away across the seas and you might as well hint to my lord in the course of your letter that i should be very well contented with a berth in the colonies a good climate of course one wouldn't care to be shipped off to sierra leone i will write that to uncle val willingly but don't ask me to beg money of him again algernon made a rapid calculation in his mind and answered without appreciable pause well cassie it shall be as you will but as to begging that i think is scarcely the word between us and lord seely i'll run upstairs and bathe my eyes and i shall still have time to write before dinner said castalia and left the room when he was alone algernon opened the writing-table drawer and glanced at the papers in it castalia's hurried manner of concealing them had suggested to his mind the suspicion that she might have been writing secretly to her uncle he found no letter addressed to lord seely but he did find an unfinished fragment of writing addressed to himself it consisted of a few incoherent phrases of despondency and reproach the expression of confidence betrayed and affection unrequited there was a word or two in it about the writer's weariness of life and desire to quit it castalia had written many such fragments of late sometimes as a mere outlet for suppressed feeling sometimes under the impression that she really could not long support an existence uncheered by sympathy or counsel embittered by jealousy and chilled by neglect she had written such fragments and then torn them up in many a lonely hour but she had never thought of complaining of algernon to lord seely she would complain of him to no human being but all algernon's insight into his wife's character did not enable him to feel sure of this indeed he had often said to himself that no rational being could be expected to follow the vagaries of castalia's sickly fancies and impracticable temper he would not have been surprised to find her pouring out a long string of lamentations about her lot to lord seely he was not much surprised at what he did find her to have written although the state of feeling it displayed seemed to him as unreasonable and unaccountable as ever he gave himself no account of the motive which made him take the fragment of writing fold it, and place it carefully inside a little pocket-book which he carried. "'I wonder,' he thought to himself, "'if Castalia is likely to die.'" End of chapter 8